We don't have our usual scripture reading today because it is the full chapter of 37 of Genesis, and if you have your Bibles and you want to open up your Bibles to chapter 37, and we'll be looking at some different verses in chapter 37 as we try to get the story across. And uh, it was interesting because some have shared with me that they've been starting to read through the story, starting in chapter 37 of Joseph, and make yourself familiar with that story. Some of us remember growing up in Sunday school and all those other ministries where we were taught this story. And what happens, though, the problem is, is sometimes we can become so familiar with a biblical story, and it sounded like a cute story <laughs> when we were kids that we kind of make it kind of lame, and we kind of lose uh, what the real depth of the story is about. And that's what we need in adulthood. Nothing wrong with teaching the children the stories that we teach them. But where our aim today is to get down deep into this and kind of try to understand a little bit about Joseph's story. Last week we started with a series called Meant for Good. This is the second week. And so I thought of this story opening up you know, poor Mark, not this Mark, but poor another Mark. And his mother named him after the gospel writer, hoping that he too would tell the gospel truth. But 13th century Europeans found it impossible to believe Mark's tales. He told stories of an epic journey lasting a quarter of a century, beginning when he was only 17. And he claimed to have traveled across the steeps of Russia. The rugged mountains of Afghanistan, the wastelands of Persia, and over the top of the world through the Himalayas. And he was the first European to enter China. And through an amazing set of circumstances, he became a favorite of the most powerful ruler on the planet Earth, the Kublai Khan. Mark saw cities in China that made European capitals look like roadside villages. The Khan's palace dwarfed the largest castles and cathedrals in Europe. It was so massive that its banquet room alone could seat 6,000 diners, and one at one time, and each eating off a plate of pure gold. Mark also saw the world's first paper money in China, and marveled at the explosive power of gunpowder. There he witnessed the manufacture of massive amounts of steel, so much so that it would take Europe another 500 years to catch up. Mark became the first Italian to taste that Chinese culinary invention called pasta. You realize that pasta is Chinese? That's how it started. Well, we perfected it. No, you perfected it. <laughs> As an officer of the Cannes Court, Cannes Court, he traveled to places no European would see for another 500 years. Then after serving Kublai Khan for 17 years, Mark began his journey home to Venice, loaded down with gold and silk and spices. When he arrived home, people rejected him. They dismissed his stories as a mythical place called China. His family priest rebuked him for spitting lies. And even on his deathbed, his family gathered around him and they begged him to recant his lies. They rejected him. 
But setting his jaw and gasping for his last breath, Mark spoke his final words. I have not even told you half of what I saw. 13th century Europeans rejected Mark's story as tales of a liar and a lunatic. But history has proven the truthfulness behind the book he wrote about his adventures, and it was called The Travels of Marco Polo. Now, what happened to Marco Polo often can happen to us. These, we have dreams and visions, things that God has done in our lives, and we can face rejection, actually rejection from those closest to us. Today, we will see the dreams that cause hatred, rejection, and betrayal of the worst kind. We have started this new series called Meant for Good, and we flipped forward last week to the end of the story when everything so terrible has happened, and Joseph says to them, you wove, remember we talked about the divine weaver, you wove evil against me, what he said to his brothers. But God rewove it for good. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And though even though terrible things can happen in our lives, God can still mean it for good. He can turn it around as he did for Joseph. Today, we go to the beginning where it all started in Genesis 37. In Genesis 37, we learn some lessons from the life of Joseph about seeing great dreams come true, visions that were given to us in our youth. But unfortunately, we also witness what? Hatred, rejection, lies, betrayal, and enslavement. The story will tell us that eventually Joseph will be sold. See, Abraham has a son, and his name is Isaac. Remember we went back? To Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. That is where God gave the promises. Now we're talking about generations later. See, this, this to me is powerful because what things have God said into your life, what things has God done that there, the psalmist says that, you know, we praise the Lord. We are faithful because there's going to come a generation that might praise the Lord. Can you imagine in your own life that you can have such an influence? That the promises of God given to you today, in three and four generations from now, the Lord carries that long, that those promises can be fulfilled. See, we live in a world that is all about me, myself, my needs, narcissistic as we talked about. They lived and believed in generations to come, might yet praise the Lord. You are worshiping here today, because generations yet to come might worship the Lord. So, we see that Abraham has his son Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, who would become known as Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of Jacob's 12 sons is Joseph, and he has dreams. He's a dreamer. I had someone recently share with me that God has given them, or they don't probably know God, that they had a very vivid dream. God can often speak to us. You'll find that in God's Word, that He can use dreams to speak to us. But in both of these dreams, He has, first of all, His 11 brothers are bowing down to Him. 
dangerous dream. <laughs> then his second dream gets even more dangerous because it's not just his 11 brothers bowing down before him. Now he sees the sun and the moon bowing down before him. And the sun and the moon is his mother and father. Now on a matriarchal, patriarchal family, now even his father is upset. What do you mean? That we're going to be bowing down to you. Look at verse 8. His brothers hated him for these dreams. And verse 11 says they were jealous. In the first couple verses of chapter 37, we read that Joseph was an obnoxious tattletale. You ever read some <laughs> obnoxious tattletales? Remember that as kids? They couldn't wait to run and tell the parents. Couldn't wait and run and tell the teacher what you had done. Well, this is Joseph. Joseph is an obnoxious tattletale. And he's going around telling everything his brothers are doing to his father. Mm, not wise, right? And so we can see four signs of trouble in Jacob's family. There have been people who have pre preached sermons just on that. How not to raise your children. Right? There are lessons here on what you should not do. So see, there's a dooming happening around here, and it's got a lot to do with the choices that were made. Right? So we see that, that, that Joseph is a tattletale. You'll see that in verse 2. He went around telling everybody what his, what his brothers were doing to his father. Now, verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Another big mistake. See, sometimes we look at that picture of a color robe, you know, and we think, coat of many colors, and it looks so cute and pretty, but there's a much deeper meaning, and actually it was an undergarment and not a coat that we see. And it was an undergarment that would have went right to the ground, and it would, you know, any time in those days that anything was multicolored, you knew it was very, very expensive and wealthy, because that was strange to find uh, threads of multiple colors. But what the father had done, there was only two people in the tribe who would wear a tunic, a coat like that. And it was the person who was indeed the head of the tribe, and the only person who would wear it besides the person who was the head of the tribe was his heir. The person he had already designated that would take over everything. Now you understand the hatred. Because there is 11 brothers before him that the father has gone down through all 11. And he believes that the baby of the family, the youngest, the runt of the litter, <laughs> the tattletale, would now at one time be the one who would be in charge. Verse 4 says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak one kind word of him, to him. And, and so we see, you know, Joseph is set up here. This is not his choice. He's done some foolish things as a young 17-year-old, like many 17-year-olds will do. But he's also set up. And so the plot begins to thicken here. You can see how it thickens. And so then we see in Genesis 37, verses 5 to 8, 
these troubles continue on. And so Joseph, as we said, had his first dream, which is interpreted that one day his 11 brothers will bow down to him. And so in that moment, Joseph announced his superiority to all of his family. And it says that, he said in verse uh, 11 there, uh, no, I, I actually it's the verses there from 5 to 8, and I'm just making a section out of it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. Do you see, see this? Hate. More hate. Hate all the more. Because of his dream and what he has said. And so now we see this, this is brewing to be a major mess because the older brothers did not even confront the sin in their own hearts because there is such hatred and jealousy and now there's even more hatred. And of course, they're not willing to deal with what they're feeling and sensing. Of course, now he becomes the object of their hate. I want you to stop for a moment and think. Did you get that? God gives you a dream. God begins to give you visions. There are just to be people out there that hate you for it. They hated him all the more, it says. Jealousy. Because not only had their father elevated Joseph to a high status in the tribe, he is going around now bragging about it. And we can see that Joseph was young and not very wise. Sometimes, I found this out the hard way, that sometimes God will give you a dream, and it's for you. It's for you to keep it to yourself. It's for you to pray into it. It's for you to believe it. And when the Lord tells you to share it, maybe that's when you can share it. Because I, I was shocked as a pastor that when God gives you these great dreams and visions, not everybody is happy to hear about it. And sometimes the rejection and jealousy will come from where we least expect it. And so to make things worse, he had the second dream, as seen in verses 9 to 10, which even makes now his father angry, because his dream implies that his mother and father will also <coughs> bow down to him. So things go from bad to worse. Have you ever felt like that? Joseph, all he knew at this point in his life as a young 17-year-old was his whole family was against him. His whole family was rejecting him in his dreams. It's even his father as well. My friends, sometimes God can be doing things in our lives that others cannot see. And there will be others who will even reject the dreams that God has given us. I remember when Pastor Mike and I had a dream to sell everything and go over to Bible school in Germany in order to serve in Italy. And many of you don't know that. We got this vision. I, uh, one of us had seen the map. Others, uh, the other one had seen the country, the flag. And Mike and I both knew as new believers that we were meant to go to Italy. And our pastor helped us. And we talked about the Bible school in Germany. And so here we are selling all our earthly belongings down into two crates. A crate and a trunk. I still have that trunk. It's in work. But everything went down to a crate and a trunk. And our family thought we were mad. Our family thought we lost it. Our home church thought we lost it. Because after 
right here. And the very ones who prayed for our salvation, now you hearing this? Were the very ones who were trying to be a roadblock to us being obedient to God. They were in the way. They were making it difficult as much as they could. They were questioning everything that God was doing and calling us to. And it's those who are closest to us that can try and destroy God's plans and purposes for our lives and dreams. See, the sad part in the story is Joseph, in this next section, was obedient to what the Father told him to do. He went looking for his brothers on his father's command. Joseph obeys his father in the pursuit of his dream and ends up being sold as a slave. Look at verses 18 to 22. But they just saw him in the distance, it says. And before he reached them, he plotted, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to their father. See, Reuben was the firstborn. Reuben was the one who should be heir, according to the way things were done. Not Joseph. But he knew what his brothers were trying to do was wrong. And so he was trying to find a way to get Joseph back to the father and the father's protection. Then it goes on in verses 23 to 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat a meal, can you believe that? They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and lay not our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up and out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. And you thought your family was bad. <laughs> How callous and hateful are these brothers. They have allowed hate now to consume them. And so his brothers, you know, they said that, before that, they say that Joseph has been wandering for three days. He could have went home to his father and said, I can't find them. But instead he continues to wander and search for them for three days. So by this time, he would be pretty hungry when he finally found his brothers. And so down in that cistern, they're up having a meal. They're having a meal. Enjoying a wonderful meal while he's down in that pit. Like, it's hard to even wrap your minds 
around them, that what was going on, how callous they could be. My friends, unforgiveness and anger and hatred can do terrible things to us. And they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Do you know what the going rate of a slave was? 30. Isn't that interesting? Because that reminds us of another story. 30 pieces of silver. But 30 pieces of silver of shekels was actually what a slave was worth. They sold him for 20. <laughs> that was saying he's not even worth a slave. The price of a slave. He's worthless, but you can have him. Take him away. And so Joseph, being even obedient to his father, turned into a great disappointment. But his brothers get away with it. Where's God in those moments? Joseph's dream had a major setback. But my friends, God meant it for good. Then look at verses 29 to 33. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Isn't there. Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. And they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it for to see whether it is your son's robe. They knew it was. First deception. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him, and Joseph has surely been torn Pieces. Do you realize the deception and lies here? That hate, the hatred, anger, rejection, now they're doing something and acting upon it, and now because they've acted upon it, they're in a mess, and now they've got to cover it up with what? Lies. Lies and deception. How ironic, years before, Jacob used what? The skin of a goat. To deceive his father. To steal Esau's blessing and birthright. And so he did deception and had to run because of what he did. Fear that his brother was going to kill him. And there was deception there. And now his own sons used the blood of the boat to deceive him. There's a word for that. You know, I have to laugh sometimes. I talk to a lot of people in the community and they'll say, well, it's karma, Pastor. It's karma. I said, well, I don't believe in karma. Sorry. But you will reap what you sow. And so they killed the goat and dipped Joseph's coat in its blood and allowed the father to believe. Notice that. They didn't tell him that he was killed by ferocious animals. They allowed the father to believe it. And Jacob went into deep mourning and were told that he could never be consoled. Then we're told in verse 36, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Then we read that with him. You know, he went. He is actually the captain of the slaughterers. He is the captain of the executioners. He is the one that would see that people would be killed in execution. And so you don't get just sold to anybody <coughs> in Pharaoh's court. You get sold to the one who could take you out back at any time and have you slaughtered. 
And that's where Joseph now becomes a slave. My friends, in the pursuit of God's plans for our lives, our dreams often, there are major setbacks on the way. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and somehow they seem to think that if I love Jesus, God has a plan for my life. It's just like this. And when God doesn't do this, well, there's something wrong with the program. <laughs> don't read it here. And don't read it anywhere in here. That everything just falls into place for us when God gives us a plan and a dream and a vision. There will be major setbacks. I believe that. There are, there are <laughs> corners that we need to get around. There are all kinds of things that happen when God gives us a vision and a dream. I shared this story many years ago, and I couldn't have got the picture, and then I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. But I was amazed when I went to Barcelona and saw the Sagrada Familia, this beautiful, I was able to walk into it, I've been able to follow it since those many years I went there, and, and it is a cathedral that is in the process of being built and finished, and it's so neat to be in something, because you know, you go see all these old cathedrals, they were finished. You know, centuries ago. And here is one that is in process. And it was Gaudi, or Gaudi, that is the one who had the vision and the dream for this in Barcelona. And so he started, and when you at the museum and you hear the story, how he started in this big vision that he had. And he actually even had a model of it. And people laughed at him and scoffed him and, and, and everything that went on. And so when you hear his story, Gaudi, when you get the word, isn't that Gaudi? The artist, people thought he was nuts. People thought he was crazy. And the amazing thing is that money for that cathedral never came from the government and it never came from the Catholic Church because Catholic Church has never recognized it. It actually came from the people. The people, the money for that cathedral, even today, is being raised by people to do so. And so he fought all the way, every way. People laughed at it. People thought it was ugly. And so even at one point, because of the Spanish War, the Catalan, he was Catalan, and they didn't want that because they saw that as a Catalan cathedral. And because of the Spanish War, for decades, the work stopped. Decades. You saw this cathedral half done. One of the most powerful things that I saw, and it was moving for me, and I have a picture of it in my front entrance there in our living room, is a picture of one of the doors in the cathedral. And it has the name of Jesus. And I mean, this door is huge. And it's all in bronze, brass or bronze or something like that. And it has the name of Jesus in all the languages of the world. That was his vision. And one of the names of Jesus, and you see it, is there, right there in the Catholic. See, they tried to snuff out that move of people, what he was. And there, right on the door, is a testament that he believed that the Catalan language was a language that God could use and bless as much as Spanish or anything else. And so I say all that to say to you that everywhere he turned, they tried to stop his dream and his vision. And then he passed. And you would think, well, the vision died with him. Oh, no, my friends, it did not, because people have traveled the globe and have moved to Barcelona and are continuing this cathedral that he started. And today, in this day, when it's still not even finished, 
Three million people visit that cathedral that has been built to the glory of God a year. A year. In reality, all he's seen in his life was hatred, rejection, ridicule, laughter. But he wouldn't stop what God had put on his heart and the dream that God had given him. My friends, our setbacks are just stepping stones to success. We must trust and persevere. That's not just true for Joseph today. Sure, he got sold as a slave, but that got him to Egypt. Later, he's going to be thrown into a prison, but that puts him in touch with one of Pharaoh's attendants. And eventually, that attendant brings Joseph to Pharaoh's attention, and Joseph ends up ruling Egypt itself. Each setback actually brought him closer to God's plan and dream. Did you hear that? I think we need to hear that, church. Each setback didn't put him back. It actually put him closer to the dream and the plan that God had for his life. Man, if we start to look at our setbacks that way, wow, just think about that. <coughs> Consider our Lord Jesus. Do you know at one point his mother's, I don't know if you read that in the Gospels, but it is true. At one point when God was moving mightily in Jesus' life, he's told that his brothers and his mother are outside. That's that famous uh, passage. Jesus doesn't even get up. He doesn't even go out. He says, who are his mother and his brothers? Those who do the will of God. Those who do the command. But what's going on there? His mother and brothers had come to get him. Because he had gone a little mad. And they were trying to take him home and settle him down. Because he was causing a little bit too much trouble. <laughs> he was going around telling everybody that he was God's son. Well, now, isn't it interesting that many of his brothers and his mother come to faith on the other side of it. But I can imagine at the time, they thought he was crazy. And so he was rejected by his brothers and nailed to a cross. And his followers were heartbroken, thinking his mission had failed. And it was a huge setback in their minds if they were done. But the cross was the very thing God used to save us from our sins. And Jesus now sits where? At the right hand of the Father. In all authority and victory. God has exalted him, as the word says. And in Genesis 37, the favored son is inspired against, rejected, sold, and betrayed. Doesn't that sound familiar? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Just quickly, there are some connections here that you'll see in these stories, and it's not coincidence. Joseph was loved by his father, much like God the Father declared his love for the Son. Joseph's brothers did not believe in him and hated him, much like the Jews did not believe in Jesus and hated him. Joseph's brothers rejected his rule, just as the Jewish leaders denied Jesus the same right. And though we see Joseph was conspired against and stripped of his garments, just as Jesus was during Holy Week. Finally, both Joseph and Jesus were sold for silver. And we can see that all these instances cannot be simply coincidences, my friends. 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Or in other words, we could say, many will be saved. I ask the worship team to come as I close. William Carey was once a poor shoemaker with persistent allergies. Oh, I can understand that. And he became a preacher. Then God gave him a vision for India. And he knew that God could use him to reach that vast country for Christ. Now, do you understand this vision that he's given? One man has a vision for a nation like India. And so he shared his dream with some of his pastor friends in a meeting. And one of them told him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without you or me. His own father called him mad. And his wife was totally against the idea. He wanted to go where? But William Carey didn't quit. God had given him a vision and a dream. And he was going to pursue that dream no matter what. In his own words, he was going to, you've heard this before, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. As a result, he went to India in the year 1793 and started a worldwide missionary movement that is still going on today. William Carey is called the father of modern missions because he not only reached the continent of India, his life and work inspires missionaries to this day to share the good news of Christ, not just to India, but to all over the world. My friends, have you been given a dream? Have you been given a vision? At a young age, did God show you things that somehow you have now put on a shelf and you have put away? You know, midlife crisis, what is midlife crisis? Midlife crisis is when you come to a point in your life that you had these dreams and visions when you were younger and you realize I'm at midlife and it doesn't seem to be coming in reality. And often you can become discouraged or throw in the towel or like some foolish people do, go off and do all kinds of crazy things thinking that's the answer. I've seen a lot of people, I've met a lot of people on their deathbed that have said to me, Pastor, I should have, I could have, I would have, but. See, God says in Joel that when the Holy Spirit begins to move, Afterward, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is what they said for the day of Pentecost. This was the scripture that Peter referred to. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Look at the emphasis. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Why is that odd? Because old men usually see visions. And young men have dreams. God is saying, when my Holy Spirit moves, doesn't matter what age you are, I can plant a dream in your heart. I can have my plans and purposes. I can have you revisit a dream in your younger years, in your younger age. Because when the Holy Spirit is moving, God is doing a new and fresh 
thing in our lives. Have you had dreams that have just been placed to the wayside? I like what Douglas MacArthur once said. People grow old only by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up interest wrinkles the soul. Did you hear that? Worry, self-doubt, self-distrust, fear, and despair. These are the long, long years that bow the head and turn the growing spirit back to dust. Stand with us as I finish with this part. We're going to sing the song. I feel we need to resonate today in all we've been through this week and all we go through in life that we need to know what 2 Timothy 1, 12 says. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Charles Spurgeon said, Paul did not say, I know what I have believed, though that would have been true. He does not say, I know when I have believed, though that would have been true. He does not say, how I know how much I have believed it, although he had well weighed his faith. He does not even say, I know in whom I have believed it. He says expressly, I know whom I have believed it. As much to say, I know the person into whose hands I have committed my present condition, my hopes, my dreams, and my eternal destiny. I know who he is. I know him personally. And I therefore, without any hesitation, leave myself, my life, my past, my present, my future into his hands. Let's sing, church. <clears throat> 